Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on today's edition, a look at a few headlines that are going on, including uh, the big story from yesterday. Part of the one of the big stories, I guess, was the uh, school walkout uh, against gun violence. That's uh, talked about on the Trumpet Daily Radio Show a little bit today. And we have some uh, follow-up stories about that uh, as well. That and more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. We're online, too, at kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at thetrumpet.com. I'm Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon here today as well. Grant, uh, you zipped on in just <laughs> just in the nick of time. Just barely. <laughs> just snuck on in there, so glad to see you today. <laughs> a busy morning for you. Yeah, it was pretty compact a couple things came up at the last second so that really really uh, crunched the time for me it can uh it can creep up on you especially as you get towards the end of the week so uh today uh, the ncaa tournament starts march madness you got a you got a favorite that no win? i don't know much about it they did have the play-in games yesterday though right they did the, i don't understand why they have play-ins for like a 16 seed but also for an 11 seed of all things like why would you why would you have to earn to be in the tournament if you're all the way up at 11 yeah i don't quite understand it. i think I they're, just, they're just trying to make the tournament longer because people like it that's cool so try just to make it all for 16 or 15 seeds though why <laughs> let, why if you're high enough up at 11 should you have to play a game to even get in they should just let every college team in america play and see who wins <laughs> the tournament goes for months and months Community colleges versus Kentucky. You give never ch- know. Give them a chance. <laughs> give them a chance to play against these future NBA uh, superstars. So I don't. I don't know either. I'm still filling out my bracket. We like to print them off, and then uh, uh, the family likes to see who can do what. <laughs> we don't. I mean, I, I follow it a little bit, but not super closely. And even even if you do, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Oklahoma got in, I guess. So uh, we'll see how they do. Yeah, I don't but, think they should have, honestly, because. Oklahoma State beat them twice this year, and they didn't even make it in. My Badgers didn't make it first time in, uh, wow, it's like fifteen or twenty years. But they had a down year. It happens. It happens. Yeah, they'll be back next year. I hope. <laughs> uh, lots to uh, take a look at on today's program, including uh, some headlines. And uh, this is an interesting story. Whenever you travel around anywhere, whether the U.S. or internationally, there is a chance of picking up uh, illness. And they say uh, travelers who landed in Detroit, Newark, Memphis, uh, pop up with measles. Visitors to airports in Detroit, Newark, New Jersey, and Memphis may have been exposed to measles after cases were confirmed in two international travelers, health officials in two states said Tuesday. So sometimes people are coming from other countries and may have uh, a disease. Uh, In Detroit, people who visited the North Terminal 
at Detroit Metropolitan Airport on the afternoon of March 6th likely were exposed to the highly contagious virus, according to the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Someone infected could have developed could develop symptoms as late as next week. Uh, in Newark, passengers in terminals B and C of Newark Liberty International Airport were also exposed and could develop symptoms as late as April 2nd. And if you travel through Memphis, the young child diagnosed with measles arrived in Newark from Brussels and flew to Memphis International Airport that evening, exposing others along the way. So hopefully uh, none of our listeners were in those uh, areas, but, uh, you know, when you're traveling, especially internationally or with people that have traveled internationally, there's uh, always a chance that something can uh, sneak through. Just one of many uh, reasons that flying has become quite a hassle or more unpleasant than it used to be. You already have to go through security and pretty much take your clothes off <laughs> just to even get uh, into the terminal and get on the plane. Uh, but then, of course, people are trying to bring their therapy peacocks and such on the plane now and different diseases come up. You might have a lot of coughing or crying babies on board, whatever it might be. And a lot of times airlines are pretty cheap, so they'll pack as many people as possible in there and then overload some of their flights so that people get kicked off of a flight that they bought. Uh, just just a lot of hassle now. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to pick something up when you're traveling. I don't I don't know that I that I have necessarily, but I don't travel a whole lot. But when you're traveling, uh, I, the, the one time I really thought about it actually was in um, Times Square, walking around in Times Square, and it was just wall-to-wall people from all over. And I remember looking at people as I passed and thinking, Wow, I mean, every, there could be sick people in this crowd. We, we were just so close together. We were so confined, and there's travelers from all over the world. And you just think, wow, you know, I mean, we're all we're all these uh, germ factories. And thankfully, uh, nothing came of it. But you, you you know, you don't want to think about it too much. You become a germaphobe, <laughs> right? That's what they call them. To where you can't, you know, you just see germs everywhere, <laughs> and then you can't function normally in life. So that's probably worse than just getting sick. Just always feeling like you have to put on hand sanitizer and you can't touch anything or even look in a certain direction without get, feeling like you're going to get sick somehow. Yeah. You know what I appreciate? I appreciate now the uh, a lot of the new gas stations that you go to, they have the hand sanitizer right there when you're done yeah. pumping gas. I, really, I appreciate that. That is nice. Yeah. And a little TV to give you information. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> word, of the, word of the month is razzmatazz if you've been to really? certain <laughs> gas stations. Yeah. They, they're educating you. I went to one gas station here in town and they had that screen and it said that razzmatazz was the word of the week or the month. And then I stopped at another gas station down in Texas and had the same thing. So I thought, well, they're all on the same page here. Whoever's coming up with the words of the day or the month, it's razzmatazz, which is also a flavor at Jamba Juice, by the way. <laughs> what does it even mean? I don't even know what it is. Uh, it was like uh, like over the top, sort of flamboyant. Okay. And, and, yeah, uh, that's a good word. Yeah, razzmatazz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's a headline from CBS News. Uh, Saudi crown prince says that if Iran develops nuclear bomb, so will Saudi Arabia. This is an interview. I think it's going to be on 60 Minutes uh, this weekend. So if you want to watch it, you can see it there. It's on CBS. And the interviewer said, um, I've seen that you called, is talking to the Saudi prince now, I've seen that you've called the Ayatollah Khomeini the new Hitler of the Middle East. And Mohammed uh, bin Salman says, Absolutely. And the uh, person asking the question says, why? And he says, because he wants to expand. He wants to create his own project in the Middle East, very much like Hitler, who wanted to expand at the time. 
Many countries around the world and in Europe did not realize how dangerous Hitler was until uh, what happened happened. I don't want to see the same events happening in the Middle East. And so uh, that's pretty inflammatory, I guess, but um, I think he has a point. It's one of the few times where a reference to Hitler is actually warranted, (laughs) uh, because usually when you hear about that, it's about President Trump or some other leader who obviously is not going to get anywhere near that level. But in the case of Iran, a lot of their clerics and their ayatollahs say openly how they want to wipe out an entire group of people. That's exactly what Hitler tried to do. Uh, So that is actually an apt comparison this time. Yeah, and and when I read this, I thought about that interview from years ago where uh, it was uh, Hosni Mubarak. Sorry, not Hosni Mubarak, uh, his predecessor, uh, Sadat, Mm. or Sadat. He was asked, I think it was on, maybe it was on 60 Minutes even, about the leader at the time in Iran, and he said he was a lunatic, I believe. And then then Sadat ended up being assassinated just not too long after that. So when I read this, I thought, oh, wow. Iran, their their, uh, leaders don't like that sort of talk. Uh, Then the the interviewer here asked, uh, does Saudi Arabia need nuclear weapons to counter Iran? And Mohammed bin Salman, that's the uh, Saudi Arabian prince, said, Saudi Arabia does not want to acquire any nuclear bomb, but without a doubt... If Iran developed a nuclear bomb, we will follow suit as soon as possible. So um, they might want to hurry up because <laughs> I think <laughs> Iran's uh, on the way if they're not there already. That's why it's called nuclear proliferation. It's, it means that it the bombs are created really quickly because no matter how fast one nation creates them, if one nation creates them and then 10 others feel like they need to create them at the same time, uh, the weapons really are proliferating all over the planet at just such a blinding pace right now uh certain nations obviously pose a huge threat and people think that they need to uh, offset that threat especially with leaders like iran where they're insane they, they will not stop at anything to bring about the return of their messiah yeah absolutely so it's really interesting when you think about saudi arabia and how they tie in and the fact that they they do have this animosity with iran there's a lot of write-ups at the trumpet.com about the uh, psalm 83 alliance that's prophesied Here's one in particular. This was written by Mr. Ron Frazier in 2011. He said, The uh, Psalm 83 prophecy takes on powerful import when considering the developing alignments of the Gulf states and Germany, especially in relation to the current Mideast turmoil. And he was writing around the time of the Arab Spring. And uh, so he was talking about how Germany was helping Saudi Arabia with some military uh, ventures. He said, this is important to Saudi Arabia. A few years ago, he has this quote in here, a few years ago, Saudi Arabia had already purchased 72 Eurofighters. This dictatorship at uh, the Gulf has become a regular customer uh, for these German-made weapons, which has set up a busy branch uh, office in Riyadh. In early 2008, the Saudi Arabian regime ordered command and control centers for ground-based anti-aircraft defenses at the time from uh, EAD's Defense and Security Division. That's a German-French corporation that makes weapons. And they says the importance of these developing arrangements between Saudi Arabia, the most powerful Gulf state, and Germany in relation to their developing alliance in resistance to Iran is highlighted in one particularly astute observation by GermanForeignPolicy.com. And the quote is, Germany is supporting the Saudi Arabian military and other repressive organs to stabilize the Gulf dictatorships and position them against Iran. Uh, um, 
uh, which is, of course, is the power there really in that area Iran is, says the Saudi uh, regime is living up to its side of the deal and ensuring the necessary stable conditions on the Arabian Peninsula now has intervened in the repression of the rebellion in Bahrain, which was from a few years ago. So he said, he finishes by saying, this is a Psalm 83 alliance literally built, being built before our eyes. So when you look at what Saudi Arabia is doing and how they are um, definitely standing up to Iran, there's uh, more people in play, in this case being Germany. And, of course, the Bible prophesies this, this battle between Germany and their people, their, their um, uh, alliance against Iran and their alliance. And Germany is really stealthy about this. They're opportunistic, but they like to at least hide it and make it seem like it's a group effort. They'll go under the guise of the European Union or in some kind of an alliance with France like that brought out. Uh, but, you, but really, Germany wants to have uh, a global influence at some point. And the fact that they're just establishing themselves so solidly in the Middle East uh, to fight off Iran just shows that they are really ambitious and they do pretty clearly see what the threats are out there so it should be a pretty interesting uh interview i think that's on 60 minutes this weekend with the saudi crown prince and i guess they haven't done interviews with the u.s in a while so uh and a lot uh has to do with iran there so they have their eyeballs on iran here's a headline from the uh, los angeles times you may have heard about this uh, south by southwest music festival it's going on down in austin texas a lot of uh, food trucks in Austin, Texas. It's like the home of the food truck. That's a very good thing. <laughs> any, any city that has a lot of those is doing pretty well to me. <laughs> no, matter, no matter what the event is, whether it's positive or negative, people want to eat food. <laughs> and uh, they're going to have food trucks there. It says, uh, at the South by Southwest Music Festival, outrage is in the air. <laughs> of course. Would, would you believe it? Uh, this uh, singer by the name of Mac... McCoggan of the band Super Chunk, <laughs> not making this up, uh, snarled uh, at one of their big concerts down there. Of course, they have a lot of bands that perform, and and this individual, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's male or female, but anyway, they said uh, to the crowd, "All these old men won't die too soon." The vi- that vicious line hails from the long-standing indie rock's band's new song, "I Got Cut." aimed at politicians who have worked to limit women's reproductive rights. It's also reflected the mood in the early going of this year's event, with well over 2,000 bands expected to descend here this week for one of the industry's most visible conferences and festivals. A sense of unrest hung in the air. (laughs) Lots of unrest. Made me think of Ephesians 2 and verse 2, which says... That uh, wherein time passed, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. So when you see a lot of bands making a lot of noise and there is uh, this spirit of discontent in the air, uh, you know where that spirit's coming from. It's coming from the prince of the power of the air. And it's all about emotion, no logic or truth involved in any of those things. To say that you're limiting someone's reproductive rights by stopping abortion, that's literally the exact opposite of what you're doing. You're actually making sure that their reproductive rights are limitless, <laughs> that they actually continue instead of being stopped in their tracks by murder. Yeah, there's a lot of things to be, I guess, protesting about, which is what uh, rock music wants to do. There's an air of rebellion to it. It's, you, know, you don't hear a lot of positive rock songs 
you know, about how things are going pretty well. Uh, but so they're, they're really getting after this uh, Me Too movement, and then I think Time's Up, that's another movement that's going on. <clears throat> Sounds like Matthew 24, but uh, that's not <laughs> what they're talking about. And then, um, well, then there's all the other things. There's the gun control. There's all the, all these events that are happening, so they're really stirring it up down there. And like you said, you know, it's very emotional. When you, if Just as an example, if you really want to think through a subject and try to come to some sort of understanding on it, you, you kind of need peace and quiet, but they're they're pushing their ideas through a lot of times indiscernible loud noise <laughs> that they would determine they would call music, and so uh, your audience that there's no chance they walk out of there being enlightened. They walk out of there being just angry and and caught up in whatever the spirit of the 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 day is. And of course, they're very uh, very anti law. As they say, you know, they want to get rid of all these old men. <laughs> well, you know what they're talking about. They don't. They don't like anything that would be, uh, you know, considered conservative or be considered or have anything even remotely to do with, say, the law of God. Well, a big thing there is that uh, they don't like how it seems that uh, older white men have a lot to say about whether or not abortion should be allowed, and they say, well, if if it's a woman, a women's issue. No men should be allowed to say anything, but really, men are supposed to lead, and they are supposed to see something that's wrong, and try to stop it when they see it. So, sure, you can get rid of the men, uh, but we're we're already seeing what's happening in society when something like that happens. When men are pushed to the side, not allowed to lead anymore, and they don't want to lead anymore, you get total chaos. That's why that's why these movements are just going out of control. Where women feel empowered to topple any men who who might have any power in any type of business a lot of those allegations just aren't true not all of them are but a lot of them are untrue and it's just about getting rid of what they call the patriarchy regardless of if they have any proof or any reason to try to get this person fired they're going to go after it and what's so interesting too is that if you look at some of the the main speakers at this festival and they're they're the music industry uh, power players most of it's all old men as you would as they would term it <laughs> so they're there protesting spending their money and and uh yelling about how they don't like the old men but the old men are making all the money <laughs> right. so at least some of them are <laughs> so it's always kind of uh interesting but uh if you're in the austin area you, you probably would want to steer clear of that i'm guessing not going to be a great environment, but the food trucks will probably be pretty good. You might just want to go in there with earplugs, go to the food truck, and then leave. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, even even if you're having a pretty good day, and you're feeling pretty good about things, and you just happen to hear really discordant music, you get angry anyway. Just just is unsettling. Like any time you're stopped in traffic and someone's blasting rap music or whatever it is from their car. You're, I start feeling like, is there going to be a fight soon? Is something about to ramp up here? Because that that does cause a lot of tension, and people can get irritated by those types of things and, and try to act on it. I used to work with this fella who was a um, pretty, pretty nice guy in a lot of ways, but he, he really liked hard rock, I guess, type music. And he was one of those fellows. It, it wasn't what, even what the popular music was within that genre. It was the really extreme version to where... Um, there'd be a guitar solo for like 25 minutes, you know, that type of thing. And, and I don't, I'm not talking classical guitar here. I'm talking, you know, where it's just squealing and all of that. 
And he just, he thought it was great. I could never understand how he liked that. <laughs> I remember having a few conversations with him and he's like, no, nah, no, nah, you know, the technical expertise. I said, I don't know, man. It just, it's a lot of squealing for like 20 minutes. I can't take it. Well, especially anytime we hear music and think we could just pick up a guitar and do the exact same thing without thinking, probably doesn't take as much technique as he's trying to say. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to sell the 20-minute the guitar solo. Not a lot of people interested in that. Here's a story that will probably affect all of us in some way, uh, maybe even right now as you listen. This is from uh, Yahoo. It says, top bottled water brands contaminated with plastic particles. Basically, if you're drinking water out of plastic, you're drinking plastic on some level. The world's leading brands of bottled water are contaminated with tiny plastic particles that are likely seeping in during the packaging process, according to a major study across nine countries published Wednesday. They said widespread contamination with plastic was found in the study, led by microplastic researcher Sherry Mason of the State University of New York, according to a summary released uh, by Orb Media, U.S.-based nonprofit media collective. Researchers tested 250 bottles of water in Brazil, China, India, Indonesia, Kenya, Lebanon, Mexico, Thailand, and the United States. Plastic was identified in 93% of the samples. If you got one of the 7% that didn't, you, it's like you won the lottery. <laughs> uh, it included major name brands such as Aqu- uh, Aqua, Aquafina, Desani, Evian, Nestle Pure Life, and San Pellegrino. Those are, I guess, some of the main ones. The plastic debris included polypropylene, nylon, and uh, polyphthalene (laughs) terephthalate, something like that, which is used to make bottle caps. In this study, 65% of the particles were found uh, that were found were actually fragments and not fibers. Particle concentration ranged from zero to more than 10,000 likely plastic particles in a single bottle. It's quite the range. On average, plastic particles in the 100 micron size range, considered microplastics, were found at an average rate of 10.4 plastic particles per liter. There were smaller particles that were more common. Other brands include... uh, well, brands I've never heard of, but <laughs> I'm sure they're in some other country. Experts caution that the extent of the risk to human health posed by such contamination remains unclear. So I drink water out of plastic bottles sometimes. Try to get the ones that aren't supposed to be bad for you, but it looks like if you're drinking out of plastic, you're drinking plastic. Well, I wonder uh, which is really worse because I know that every time I get like a big case of those water bottles, I drink a whole lot more water than I normally would. So is it better to just avoid drinking out of those water bottles and then end up drinking less water, which is what tends to happen, or just take the chance, maybe? Plastic little particles doesn't concern me too much, at least. Well, they say that tap water is safer, depending on where you get it from, obviously. Yeah. And then a lot of times people um, drink out of glass bottles Mm. to try to avoid it. So that might be a way. I actually have a bottled water that I'm drinking now and it's glass but you know what the cap the inside's plastic yep so but and even according to the report just even the way it's put into the bottles a lot of times can get the plastic in there so they got you coming and going (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) it's like what you know because there is this it is really kind of a health movement I think people have realized that very sugary drinks they're not good for you 
And so now there's a market to, for bottled water. And it's better, but then at the same time you're drinking plastic particles. So what what a downer. I'm <laughs> such a discourager. Well, that would be another comparison to make. What's worse, drinking those plastic particles or just a regular soda without anything else bad in it because of all the chemicals that that has? Yeah. I wonder about... I wonder if sometimes you can buy bottled water in uh well I guess it's not bottled because it's in a uh, aluminum can. But then you could drink aluminum or yeah. aluminum. It would seem like it would taste like that at least. I don't know. Just it's all terrible. There's just <laughs> and no matter what you do, there's always some sort of some something going on there. But anyway, I guess we just have to do our best and try to be careful with what we have. Uh here's an interesting story that uh, caught my attention because I I know some people that have been involved in something like this. Thankfully, not to the point of uh, dying, but a car accident. It's coming out of California. It says police said that two people dead in a crash after fleeing from ICE agents. These are illegals trying to get out of, get out of Dodge or Bakersfield, as the case <laughs> may be. It says a man and woman died in a crash Tuesday morning in Delano as they fled federal agents with immigration and customs enforcement. Officers were called to the 3000 block of West Cecil Avenue at about 6.54 a.m. regarding a crash. The SUV was on its roof. Police said the vehicle had been speeding west, and then uh, the driver drove onto the dirt shoulder and lost control. Vehicle overturned and stopped after hitting a power pole, according to police. Both occupants, neither of whose uh, names have been released, were pronounced dead at the scene. Police discovered ICE agents had tried stopping the SUV by activating emergency lights. The SUV's driver initially pulled over, but then took off and a crash shortly afterward. Uh, so, bad situation. But, of course, the other danger is that you kill other people as well and uh, or, or injure them. That happened here locally to one of the sports reporters. He got killed in the same sort of situation. And... Uh, Police chase deaths since 1979. There's been about 11,506. Breaks down to roughly one per day if you're just looking at deaths. And uh, about half of that is the people that are fleeing. The other half are people that were just got hit or were you know not involved. And but it's interesting because when you start looking at the number, well, first of all, if you're going to flee from the police, you got a problem. Right? It doesn't matter. Your immigration status, all of those things. Uh, the root problem is that you you have a you have an issue. You should never flee the police. Why are you fleeing? It's because you did something. It's wrong. an immediate sign of right. guilt. Exactly. They're trying to get out of there. They don't want to get in trouble. However, when it comes then to the uh, how many I- illegals are getting into accidents, either from fleeing police or just just um, because they don't know how to drive, they don't have a license. Uh, the numbers are interesting, and they're hard to find because they don't want to report on it. They don't, they don't, uh, most places won't record an immigration status or whether or not the person has a license. So those numbers are kind of dicey. So this one fellow, he really started digging to try to find out because his son got killed. And and he, when he went to look for statistics, there weren't any, or there weren't many. You have to really look around. The uh, AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, which obtains state-by-state data from the federal government fatality analysis reporting system, uh, database found that 20% of fatal crashes involved an unlicensed driver. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're illegal, but they're unlicensed. From 2010 to 2014, there was an average of 32,887 road deaths per year, which would mean that 
uh, just about 6,500 were caused by unlicensed drivers. We're just talking about deaths, not just not injuries or other problems. It says those drivers include citizens with suspended or revoked licenses and those who never had licenses, but most often uh, there's illegal immigration involved, but they don't want to report the numbers, so it's hard to even find the numbers. Uh, you know, no matter who you are, to drive a vehicle without a license and without proper training, I mean, it's a crime. And then if you don't have a license, you know they don't have car insurance either. So, I mean, I, we know somebody that got into an accident a while back that uh, that was illegal. No, no license, no insurance, nothing. It's just another problem here. And, again, it's not just all on <laughs> illegal immigrants, but at the same time, it's like we've talked about. Once you start breaking one law, you break two, you break three, you break— I mean, where does it stop? And then people end up getting killed. Well, their their presence here almost— forces them to try to do something desperate even to to live their everyday lives because if they're here illegally it's going to be hard to get a license it's going to be hard to get a bank account it's going to be hard to get a social security number without stealing that from somebody else uh plenty of other crimes become a lot more of an option for those people because they're here illegally in the first place and it does seem like it is disproportionate the amount of illegals in this country to the amount of uh deaths that occur in car accidents uh that are caused by illegals. Um, definitely, you, probably a lot of leftist politicians are wishing that they would stop doing that for a while because the stories keep coming up. You have to look for them, but they they keep coming up where they are costing Americans their lives simply by being here and breaking too many laws. The case of the the fellow that his son got killed, and he started looking into this. the The guy that ended up killing his son was illegal, no license. Um, he had been picked up several times already for things like driving the wrong way on one ways, you know, and, and, and we're not just talking about like, uh, th- there are different types of accidents. Some are just, you know, for, you know, I, I don't know. There's different reasons that could happen, but when, when you don't understand the rules of the road or you won't follow them, you know, that's where it becomes really, and, and a lot of people do that, you know, but still, uh, it just gets back to the point that it's just not a good fruit. I mean, if you want to look at the fruits of breaking a law, and in this case, the illegal immigration, there's just not there's nothing good. What are the good fruits from that? Because, like you said, once you break one law, where does it stop? Does, is there anybody that says I'm going to break one law, but that's it? I'm done. <laughs> no. The rest of the day, I'm going to be law. I'm going to be a law-abiding <laughs> citizen. There's no way. It just cascades. Well, there was that story recently as well, where that Indianapolis Colts football player was killed by. Uh, an illegal who was not only driving illegal illegally but was also extremely intoxicated and that seems to be a recurring problem as well um, like you said they don't stop at breaking one law it could be getting here illegally but then it could be driving illegally then driving a way 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 past the legal alcohol limit as well I mean those laws bro- those broken laws just stack up and um you have to wonder what this man might must think whose son was killed. Do you think he wants the border to be wide open? Do you think he wants people to be able to return here easily despite being deported four, five, six, seven times and then just coming back? Uh, should those people be allowed to be here in the mind of a person who has suffered like that? Yeah, it's uh, and like you said, a lot of cases it's not like their first offense. It's usually the fact they've been picked up three or four times for the same thing. And then it ends up being a fatality from a car crash or 
it ends up being more serious crime. Or, or well, I mean, <laughs> death is death, but I mean, you know, more of a violent, intentional sort of crime. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, real, really uh, interesting numbers there. Bad situation um, as far as some of the the traffic uh, problems. And it just makes our laws look like a complete joke. Every time you see a story come out that they have been deported several times and they just walked right across or they swam right across, no problem. Sometimes uh, in the past, it's been right under the sight of ICE agents but the agents feel powerless to stop them. Uh, why, do, why do laws even exist? Why are we even going to have laws in place if they're not going to be enforced? Yeah, it's, uh, it's quite, a, quite a bad deal there as far as uh, the, the laws being broken. Uh, oh, I, I, I was thinking about something. You know, the, uh, the, some of the stats that I got there about the police chase deaths uh, came from this uh, write-up from USA Today. And the whole premise of the article was that it was the police's fault, like they're reckless. It was ridiculous because, as anyone should be able to observe, don't run from the police so they don't have to chase you. Don't run. Stay put. Why did you run? What do you, you know, <laughs> I've been pulled over a few times, unfortunately, you know, for, uh, you know, uh, from traffic violations. Um, and, uh, it's never anything real serious, but enough to <laughs> make them pull you over. Uh, one time I was at taillight, uh, that I needed to get replaced. You pull over, deal with whatever you need to deal with and move on. You don't take off running. People run because they know there's, there's bigger problems <laughs> when they're going to put in your license number or find out who you are. They know that they've got a bunch of stuff that they're hiding from. That's why they run. Yeah, that's right. And the left proves itself capable of being wrong on literally every issue that comes up. I mean, to think that it's the fault of law enforcement when people who are guilty start fleeing for their lives or trying to get away from uh, law enforcement for whatever crime they've committed that they don't want to get caught for. I mean, that's just there's no logic in that. There's no there's no common sense in something like that. Um and yet that's the trend. People are trying to say that law enforcement is cruel and they don't have enough training and they need to get more training because they don't know how to operate their firearms. They don't know how to uh, have regular civil interactions with people who look different from them. Uh, and and they're even trying to say that if if a person happens to be a different color and a police officer comes up, there's a good chance that person will get shot for doing nothing wrong. And, and you can't even really think how that would be uh, a likely possibility. Yeah, that's uh, – <laughs> I can't imagine that would ever happen. Just sitting there saying, yep. yes, sir, being really kind to the officer, and all of a sudden he just shoots you dead. That yeah. just – you can't even fathom that happening. Yeah, the trumpet hour yesterday uh, with Joel Hilliker, he talked about the the shooting there in Parkland, Florida, and focused on the, the basically the broken system there that led up to that shooting, which is that if you committed a crime or something where you needed to get disciplinary action, well, they were trying to fill racial quota. And so they let a lot of people go, including Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. you know, and if you were to just believe the narrative about him, you know, poor kid walking home, drinking tea and then he gets blasted. <laughs> and, uh, he, no, he was involved in lots of crimes before that, that they didn't take him in for. And even in that instance, if you think about just that one case, if they if if law enforcement had done their job in that case and not been uh you know really handcuffed from doing what they should uh they would have taken that guy and, and probably put him in some sort of juvenile detention or whatever and he'd probably still be alive right now mm-hmm. 
because he wouldn't have been on the street getting into all that trouble. I mean, he may have still, still gone that direction. But even in just that one instance, if he had been disciplined right off the bat, it probably would have saved his life. Yeah, and even in that situation, he was killed by a neighborhood watch volunteer, and the media tried to make it into a police brutality issue still. The police weren't even involved in that at all. And when he was shot, he had all this contraband in his backpack, things that he had stolen. I think even possibly some drugs were in there. Uh, So to say that he is now somehow innocent when the evidence is right there on him, it just doesn't make any sense. And I love the point that Mr. Hilliker brought out in that program, how uh, that school resource officer at the Parkland shooting who stayed outside the building with his gun was actually – named the school resource officer of the year in that county in 2014 this was someone who was really good at his job uh following what the guidelines of his job were which were to basically mentor and counsel people not correct people or punish people if they broke laws and he did a very good job of it and so who knows if he might have just been following protocol when it came time for the shooting as well. It seems like he was someone who was very good at just doing his job as it was laid out, even though the guidelines were obviously all wrong. Yeah, it's hear no evil, see no evil, right? If you don't look at it and you don't, you just ignore it, then there's no evil because you didn't see it. But, uh, of course, there were a lot of problems. So, anyway, that's a really interesting Trumpet Hour program. Uh, make sure you go back and check out uh, that podcast and you can also listen to the article related to that um one just uh, economic note uh today toys r us uh their their motto was i don't want to grow up i'm a toys r us kid (laughs) it's time to grow up they're gonna go bankrupt they are bankrupt they plan to close all u.s stores they think Thirty-three thousand jobs are at risk so uh bankrupt toys r us is preparing to sell or close all 885 stores in its U.S. chain, risking 33,000 jobs uh, after failing to reach a deal to restructure billions of dollars in debt, a person familiar with the matter said Wednesday. They said it's a relentlessly difficult retail environment for mall-based retailers. There just aren't the same feet coming through the doors anymore. More than 8,000 U.S. retail stores closed in 2017, roughly double the average annual store closures in the previous decade according to uh, recent data. So it's true. If you go to a mall, you know, it's not the same amount of people that there used to be anymore, and you see a lot of uh, vacant malls as well. Yeah, and Toys R Us has always been a pretty tough concept because obviously kids have to convince their parents to go into the store. If you're a parent in Target or Walmart, your kids can be walking past the toy section and then start begging (laughs) and then start begging you for something. But Toys R Us, you have to as a kid you have to get your parents to to allow you to go in there in the first place uh so that's always i've always wondered how successful they could be with a model like that it's yeah it is a very niche store Uh, actually i was telling my uh kids about the fact they were going out of business and uh i made that same point i said well you know if you go to target you're there for other things and you happen to walk past a toy aisle and your kid's like oh can we look at the toys but that's a much easier sell than than let's make a special trip to this building of toys (laughs) where there's nothing else there you know and and so but but again even just the malls and in general they're having a hard time uh, online shopping it's just easier it's more convenient there's more there's more uh, things you can get Uh, so I don't know don't know what they're going to do with these malls or if they're going to figure something out to get people in there but uh, it's hard to do there was another statistic today Uh, I think I forgot to write it down but uh, just in relation to online 
they said that, uh, oh, no, here it is. Uh, almost a quarter of U.S. adults say they are almost constantly online. So wow. when you just, if you even think about that in terms of retail or anything else, people are always online. Even when they're at the mall, they're online. Yeah, and people have to, obviously businesses have to try to react to the changing environment if they know that their customers are constantly on that platform. That's the way you have to start directing your sales. You have to you have to make it possible to not only go in store but also have an online presence to buy things from too. Yeah, I've uh I've done it to where even I've been in a store and seen something and said, Is that a good deal? And I've looked it up and see what other people sell it for. <laughs> you know, and a lot of times you find out or you read the reviews. You're like, Ah, nobody likes this. Mm. So <laughs> it's uh it's it's a tough environment right now. Uh, make sure you do listen for the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up here in a bit on KPCG with your host, Stephen Flurry. Talk today about, uh, again, a little bit more about the problems with men or just the men are disappearing. And But he also talked about some of the, the school protests yesterday. School students uh, walked out to protest guns. And they said, where are the dads? Uh, to tell their kids, hey, you know what? You're just being puppets to the left here. You might want to think about what you're, what exactly you're doing. Uh, at least some some schools are trying to deal with this. New Jersey school this is from the Hill. New Jersey school district plans on punishing students who participated in the walkouts. I'm sure they'll get a lot of negative publicity. We'll see what <laughs> happens. But a New Jersey school district reportedly plans on punishing students who participated in school walkouts Wednesday as part of a nationwide protest of gun violence. High school students in Sayreville, New Jersey, walked out of classes despite warnings from the school district officials that those who participated would be punished. According to the website, around a dozen students rallied outside the school for around 17 minutes. Uh, just a chance to get out of school, I think. The students who left the school were reportedly told they would receive two-day suspensions, while the students who attended the protest in the auditorium were reportedly told they would receive detentions. Some left the building, some went to the auditorium. School system said there's going to be punishments for it. But uh, other schools don't feel the same. CNN.com says the demonstrations continued throughout the day in numerous cities. Participants waved signs and chanted enough. Chanted enough, I guess. (laughs) They just wrote chanted enough. It was just enough chanting. (laughs) As they marched through the streets and rallied in front of government buildings, including the White House. Uh, They called on lawmakers to do something before another school falls victim to gun violence. It's always interesting to protest, and um, the thing you're demanding is that somebody does something. A little vague. <laughs> well, isn't that kind of how every one of these protests have been lately? Like, what was the message of the Women's March? Who knows even what that was? I mean, it. you have people with all these different signs, and even even reporters who tried to ask them what they were there for uh, couldn't get any answers from them. And then here, uh, they're asking lawmakers to do something. What what law would have prevented the shooting? What new law? I mean, they, there were obviously a lot of laws that weren't followed that could have prevented it. But what new law could have made any difference at all? Yeah, exactly. Because, again, the criminals don't follow laws. Laws were in place there in the Parkland, Florida area, but they didn't follow them. So there you go. Well, the police had every opportunity. The FBI had every opportunity. If they just followed basic protocol and they used the power that they were already given, they could have apprehended him. They could have taken his guns. They could have signed him up for some kind of uh, 
I don't know if it would be counseling, but some sort of uh, programs to where they can figure out what's wrong with him and, and give him some kind of treatment. And they didn't do anything about it. That's not the fault of lawmakers uh, when law enforcement doesn't do their job. Yeah, Mr. Stephen Flurry on the Trumpet Daily, you know, he brings out the point and really sets it up well to where, you know, but the point it gets to is, okay, what about the individual that did this act? How are you going to fix that? How are you going to fix these individuals? And why, why, why blame the, the contraption that was used? Why not blame the failure of the entire system, which ultimately gets down to family breakdown, to prevent something like this from happening? You know, you could lay down an assortment of weapons in front of a well-adjusted person. They're not going to do anything with them. Here's a here's a bazooka. Here's a you know, okay. I'm not going to do anything with it. Right. <laughs> Nothing to harm anybody. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe it'd be fun to see what happens if you shot at a <laughs> rock or something. I don't know. Yeah. But but just just either having it or not having it in this case, it doesn't all of a sudden mean that you're just going to go from a normal person to the stone cold killer. It's it's who that person is. It's what they've done. But it's easier to blame the contraption. And, of course, there's a lot more to it than that, including taking power and the government away from people. But uh, but it is just a lot easier to point at the, the weapon and say, you know. It's like I have a pen in my hand. I mean, you could I could write something really bad, and you could say, get rid of pens. <laughs> well, it's not the pen's fault. It's, it would be my fault in that case. Yeah, I saw a political cartoon about this that was pretty funny, and it illustrated the point pretty well. There was a man sitting on a bench, and he started complaining to the woman sitting next to him about how uh, he, his stomach hurt because he'd way overeaten. And he's like, we need to ban spoons because the spoon is what allowed me to way overeat like this. And she's like, well, don't you think you ought to have some sort of self-control and, and, and prevent yourself from putting the spoon in your mouth so many times? And he's like, well, I guess that's a good point. And then uh, he says to her, that's horrible, that shooting that happened. And she's like, yeah, we need to ban all guns. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's really only guns that they make that kind of an exception for. And at the heart of that is something a lot more sinister, like you mentioned. It's government taking away all guns. Because you haven't even been able to find any sensible arguments for what they're what they're talking about right now. They They blame the National Rifle Association. Which of the five million or so members of the NRA has ever carried out a mass shooting? There have been members who have stopped shootings like that. That is probably something the media wouldn't ever tell you. Uh, that that alone should tell you that maybe the NRA doesn't deserve blame here. If no one who is involved with the NRA has killed anybody like that, then why are we blaming them? It is a blame game. The, it was an interesting comment from one of these uh students that was protesting uh, they said um, uh, by more than one school doing this because a few protested it shows politicians and lawmakers that we want change to happen and the next generation is prepared to make that happen and uh, and I thought well that there is some truth to that but it's not the change they're thinking about and it's it's not them in particular but it if you have a generation coming up that that starts obeying God's laws and starts putting in practice in their lives, yeah, then you will see a change. See, they want change to happen, but they don't they don't want to change. They don't want to make changes. How about all these young people say, you know what, we're going to start living according to the Bible. We're going to start putting families back together again, and it's going to start with our generation. Uh, then you wouldn't see any more of these problems. They could make that change. 
but it's not through yelling and waving signs around. They'd have to make personal change in their own lives. Well, the blunt reality is that they're just being used. Probably those protesters haven't stopped to think about why the left is clamoring for 16-year-olds to be allowed to vote while at the same time saying those same kids are not responsible enough to own guns until they're 21. Uh, Which one is it? Are they adults at 16 or are they adults at 21? And and right now they're too young to know about these things. Uh, They're being used, and sure, they can go out there, they can protest, they can irritate people who don't agree with them by by walking out of class and pretty much framing their classmates as terrible people if they don't participate in the walkout but like you said what difference does that really make that they can say that we are determined to be the last uh, victims of a school shooting how are you going to make that happen how can you stop a shooting that takes place in washington state or somewhere way across the country from you uh, just because you're protesting, do you think you think people who have guns and want to kill people are going to pause now because you walked out of school for 17 minutes? What kind of solution is that really? Yeah, and it it, uh, it highlights the point that it's easy to blame either something else or someone else. But how about looking at yourself? Yeah, and making some personal changes there, and and making sure for this younger generation that they actually got into a solid marriage, stayed married. Which, by the way, includes not getting involved before marriage, (laughs) raising children and raising them correctly so that they would never have a problem again. They could be the generation that does stop school shootings by raising the next generation that is mentally sound, that is fulfilled and happy in the right family structure. They're talking about making a change by going to the polls and voting for Democrats who secretly want to take all the guns. There is no disputing that. That is absolutely what they're going for. Uh, and that yet that's not the change. That's not the real change that they could be making. Holding up a sign is not going to change anything. Yelling at lawmakers and saying that they see the face of uh, the school shooter whenever they look at him is not going to stop another school shooting from happening. But the way that you live your life could definitely change something. Yeah, and they need to think about even just the history of protesting. There's a lot of nations you cannot protest in because the government has all the weapons and you you have none. And so that if they don't like what you say, which in most cases they don't, well, they put an end to the protest very quickly. <laughs> China, Iran, other nations like that. But there's a really uh, really great book on, um, on uh, biblical manhood, and uh, it has a section in there that uh, talks about protecting women and children. That's, that is the job of a man. So when these younger people are protesting, they should be thinking about becoming that type of a man and that type of a woman that is supportive in that family. And then raising these men in the next generation and women, but men in particular, to protect the women and children. Now, you can't say that today, right? Even just saying men protecting women and children, that seems like, well, that's an inappropriate, that's a sexist comment. But that's what God designed uh, uh, men to do. And uh, so it goes through that um, that aspect of manly leadership and talks about uh, just the way that God intended men to be the ones that protect the children and the women. You won't have a school shooting if you have men there that are raising their families and are the protectors in the home. Go back and look at all the shooters. What do you see? Broken family, broken home, no father figure. How about protesting that? How about protesting the lack of uh, proper families. 
<laughs> 17-minute protest on broken families and broken homes. You know, I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. Well, that's too condemning uh, for a lot of people. It's too uncomfortable to point out that people making wrong decisions and not building their families the right way could lead to something like that. You don't have people becoming dependent on psychiatric drugs if their parents are together and love them and correct them when needed and get them pursuing uh, academics and work and good hobbies. Those are not the types of people who then need drugs to fight off depression and need uh, help staying away from weapons and violence and uh, start hearing voices in their head. That never happens in a good, stable family. You never have kids turn out that way and become these violent, monstrous murderers. So that is exactly what needs to be protested against. But again, the whole trend of the age is just to get away from personal responsibility. You can't ever possibly say that anyone, uh, any one person, anywhere remotely involved in the activity is to blame. It has to be a lawmaker who truly had nothing to do with it. They'll, they'll just blame random people, or it's even easier to just blame an object. Why not just blame guns and say we need to get rid of all those? Yeah, I was just at the uh, shopping center a while back, and I was just observing the people <laughs> walking about. And, uh, you know, you see a fair number of <clears throat> young men and young women, I guess, teenagers and, and around that age. Uh, yeah, that you know, just kind of... Uh, not necessarily maybe into a lot of trouble there, but you can tell they're <laughs> they're living a bit uh, on the wild side, I guess we'll say, just based on their appearance and some of their actions. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, you don't see that, like you said, you don't see that when you have a strong family with a strong father. You need to just go up to it. You could go up to one of those people and say, where's your dad? You know, and they'd say, well, I don't know, or I don't have a dad, or who are you, or get out of here, or whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> they'd say. But or even the people out there protesting. Now, some cases, maybe their parents encouraged them or whatever. But for a lot of them, you know, they're, they're not coming from great backgrounds. And I, I always think of that even with the gang problem, because this point is brought out here in this uh, biblical manhood book that a man must be committed to defending his family, defending women and children, and defending his community. You see communities ravaged by gangs. Where are the dads? To go out there and grab those kids and pull them off the street and say, get in here. What are you doing? Early on, I mean, <laughs> not when they're 21 because it's a little late. But uh, you won't have that problem, but you don't have any men there anymore. And so you have gangs running rampant in certain communities, and you have school shooters shooting other kids because you don't have dads. Well, that's a good point because every gang member has a father biologically, but not one who's actually there fulfilling his role. Uh, if you have any sort of a father who's who has the right set of values and is trying to raise you to be an upstanding citizen that <laughs> your your child doesn't become uh, a gang member in that case and so every every single one of these problems that you look at they all point back to a failure in leadership in the home even the kids who do have uh, a complete family around them but who are protesting there is a failure in leadership by the father telling not telling them to stop they shouldn't be out there being used by left-wingers to push an agenda that makes no sense. The dad needs to get out there and tell them to stop. And so even if he is in the home, it's still very easy for a father to do the job the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. In this booklet, it says fathers should protect their families not only from physical dangers, but also mental and spiritual dangers. We should keep wrong influences from entering our homes and into their lives. So... You know, where, like you say, there's a failure of leadership there. 
to prevent the kids from getting all stirred up or, you know, running down to South by Southwest and listen to a band yell at them about something. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't have the leadership there. And even if they're physically there, a lot of cases, uh, the, uh, there's no way they're going to step in and stop anything. You mm-hmm. know, no, we're not going to stop anything, certainly. And that's why you have all the problems that you see today. This is a really, really uh, great booklet, uh, Biblical Manhood. There's a lot in there in this particular chapter. on protect women and children. It's really interesting to look at in light of um, what you see happening with the younger generation and some of the issues. So you can get that for free. It's at the thetrumpet.com, uh, and uh, you can download it, read it now, or you can get the copy if you'd like to. That's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show that's coming your way here in just a bit. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.